This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. We're at a critical point in the federal election campaign now that both official debates in French and English have taken place with both the Trudeau Liberals and O'Toole Conservatives in a tight race at the top, will either of their performances be able to sway voters to create a surge in support? On Thursday, after the French debate and before the English debate later that day, Libby spoke with Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, about their observations. The liberal campaign is not turning out the way that uh, that they planned it when they called it back in mid-August. And the only way that he can get back on track is he has to push the NDP hard to get the biggest group of switch voters in this campaign back on side, and those would be liberal and NDP switchers. And the way that they do that is uh, a time-worn strategy from the Liberal Party, which is to demonize the Conservatives, uh, to marginalize the NDP. The question is whether or not that will work this time. How are they doing with that? Well, so far, not well. And, and the reason for that is because the what they need in order for that to work is the Conservatives to be seen by that specific group of voters as having a hidden agenda. And um, at this point, Trudeau actually leads Aaron O'Toole, who's most likely to have a hidden agenda. So that's one problem. And the second thing is that uh, 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 Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, can just as easily pivot on that attack from the liberals and say, you know what, I actually agree with you, Liberal Party. I'm worried about the uh, I'm worried about the conservatives. And but by the way, you know, you've got six years of a broken record on all these progressive uh, policies that we really care about. And we will at least fight for them in a way that you didn't. So it's a very complicated thing. It's a it's a it's a difficult strategy to execute. And a lot of things have to happen in order for it to work. Kim Wright, uh, Jagmeet Singh is coming off as a very uh, attractive candidate, attractive personally. Uh, but uh, what about that argument that a vote for him is a vote for the Conservatives? Well, and Daryl, Daryl hit it right on the head that the Justin Trudeau and his government has had six years in office. Uh, they've had opportunity after opportunity to do the right thing, whether it's been on childcare. Uh, which has been promised in these 30 years that I've been in politics, every campaign by the Liberals, and they still haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, Pharmacare, uh, clean drinking water in Indigenous communities, you heard that coming up a bit last night on the debate. I suspect you'll hear a lot more of that. Uh, You'll also hear that, uh, you know, that uh, the Trudeau Liberals have had a worsening record on emissions, uh, the worst of any G7 countries. So, People 
are already feeling, well, why should we vote for you again? Uh, so they're looking at Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats and what they've accomplished over the last two years uh, in, in the House of Commons. They've also had a really good impression of Jagmeet Singh in the last election, especially in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. He sort of started to get his mojo. In this election, he hasn't had some of the some of the problems that plagued him last election. So he's got amazing candidates. He's got uh, polling numbers that are, are quite remarkable, even in Quebec. Uh, some of some of them have been in that you know nineteen twenty percent range, which is remarkable for New Democrats in Quebec. Um, he's got great candidates, money in the bank. He also has a child on the way, so he is crystal clear focused on what he's doing, and all of that authenticity uh, is why you're seeing people go, huh? Maybe, maybe we can have a look at this fellow. The other thing I will always say about strategic voting messaging, and it's a bit of this boogeyman, and people trying to you know try to sort this out. But I've heard for years, even in places like Toronto Danforth, which I think there are about six conservatives who live in Toronto Danforth in total. But oh my gosh, you got to vote for the liberal to to keep out the conservative. Like these 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 conversations are hopeful to be boogeymen and strawmen to to move uh, to move voters. But ultimately, what I'll say is just go and vote. Go for vote for what you actually want to see in Canada, and that will uh, that will change a lot of conversations. Daryl, the last 20 seconds to you. Yeah, the most consequential event of this camp, entire campaign was near the start in which Jagmeet Singh said that he would be prepared to work with a, a government led by, uh, by Aaron O'Toole. Um, and that has created a very important strategic problem for Justin Trudeau in the Liberal Party. So I think that the NDP is playing a really big role in this campaign and probably are going to play an incredibly big role in the next government to come. Libby's conversation on Thursday with Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. September 4th marked 1,000 days for Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor as hostages of China. The families of the men, along with friends and supporters, marked the event last weekend with a march in Ottawa. Those who joined were encouraged to walk 7,000 steps, the same number Michael Kovrig's former wife, Vina Najibula, says he walks in his cell every day. Both men were charged with espionage. Spavor has been sentenced to 11 years in prison. Michael Kovrig has yet to be sentenced after his trial wrapped up in March. Joining me on Wednesday to discuss the ongoing situation and what's being done about it while the Canadian political leaders are involved in a federal election campaign, Sarah Teach, an international human rights lawyer and senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, Dr. Stephanie Carvin, a national security expert and assistant professor of international affairs at Carleton University, and Dr. Gordon Holden, director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. I asked Dr. Holden first what he knows about how the Michaels are being treated. The Chinese jail, I've been in several Chinese jails as a Canadian diplomat based in Beijing, concert cases. These are not ideal circumstances. In fact, in their first six months when they were in a Ministry of State Security prison, the conditions would have been even worse uh, due to the constant interrogations, uh, difficult, particularly difficult circumstances. Where they are now is moved 
but it was one shouldn't call it a great conditions. They're in a Chinese jail. It's tough, and uh, tough on them psychologically, tough on their families, and it's tragic given the, our confidence that this is a retaliatory measure based on the tension of Madame Madame Meng, not something based on anything that they have done. Dr. Carvin, did you want to add anything about uh, the detention of the Michaels and what they're living and experiencing for more than a thousand days now? Well, we have, uh, I would, you know, just echo everything that um, has been said. I would also note that the, you know, there were reports earlier on that, you know, um, Michael Coburn had his glasses taken away so that he couldn't read. Um, They are required to, um, you know, speak in English at all times, uh, you know, when speaking with foreigners, um, I guess, so that their communications can be monitored. Um, We know that they haven't had regular consular access, and I mean, COVID has been a part of that, but they weren't getting regular con, um, um, regular consular access regardless. And uh, that is in contravention of pretty much uh, all diplomatic agreements. So it really is um, just unfortunate in terms of, of how they're being uh, detained and the conditions that they're in. The only other thing I would add is now Michael Savoir has, we now know what he has been accused of, which was uh, a very confusing um, news story in uh you know, the Chinese media, which basically said that he had taken pictures of planes and passed them on. Um, and I, I don't understand, <laughs> you know, like, like why, like which planes and like, why wouldn't, you know, spy services have access through like far superior technology than a tourism guide with a camera? Um, who was he passing them to? It just didn't make any sense. And they accused him of doing this, but then said no major secrets were ever actually leaked, which, again, doesn't make a lot of sense. So it, it's just a very frustrating situation um, and, and one that, that is just kind of unconscionable. Sarah Teach, do you have anything to add about the situation the Michaels find themselves in? Right, a thousand days. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, these guys have said it all. The only thing I would add is that, um, you know, sort of in line with, the accusations being ridiculous. Um, the trials were also, you know, ridiculous and also breaches of basic national agreement on point. So, like these these trials and these accusations, I would just keep in mind that these are, you know, these were sham trials and the accusations are spurious and not real. And, you know, let's make sure to not ever be fooled by those, um, you know, that facade. This is a hostage situation. It's not a situation where these two men were were spying and they're being rightfully detained for that reason, right? This is in retaliation. Dr. Holden, has the United States let Canada down on all of this? Well, I think that the U.S. has been forward in raising the case. Secretary of State Blinken had done so, and we believe that uh, both President Trump and President Biden have done so as well. However, for the Americans, it's one of a couple dozen issues and include big, big heavy lifts like Taiwan, South China Sea, and other many other issues, their own concerns as well. The idea that there's going to be tomorrow a unified Western approach to cut China out of the international supply chains, I'm not sure we could do that if we tried, but I see no willingness for that kind of action at this time.
Dr. Gordon Holden, Director Emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta, Sarah Teach, an international human rights lawyer and senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute, and Dr. Stephanie Carvin, a national security expert and assistant professor of international affairs at Carleton University. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, doctors faced with the ethical dilemma of granting COVID vaccine exemptions. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. With plans underway for vaccine certificates, some Ontario doctors are being deluged with requests for medical exemptions for their patients. The CEO of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario told doctors to be judicious when it comes to administering these exemptions. Acceptable reasons are apparently very rare, such as an allergist immunologist confirmed serious allergy or anaphylactic reaction to a previous dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. But a lot of people are convinced they qualify. Libby was joined to discuss this emerging issue with family physicians Dr. Alyssa Naiman with the Medical Station Clinic in Toronto and Dr. Jason Profetto with Profetto Sabateri Family Medicine in Hamilton. Unfortunately, we've, I've received a lot of requests and it's been an extremely challenging conversation to have with patients. They're very upset when they feel that they should we should, I should be providing them with a medical exemption. And as you mentioned, there's very few criteria. And then they'll tell me that their friend's doctor gave them a note and I'm their doctor and I need to be there to help them. And it's honestly put me in a very, very difficult situation. And the last three weeks have probably been the hardest three weeks of my career dealing with people who are very agitated and wanting a, a vaccine exemption. Dr. Profetto, have you been having the same experience? Yeah, actually, what Dr. Naiman refers to is very similar to the experience I've been having in my office. And I agree. I, I feel like uh, the doctor and I have probably been working side by side, but just geographically distant with requests in the last, say, few weeks since the vaccine passports have been mentioned. The, the number of requests per day or per week have gone up dramatically and actually have re- increased the, the work burden significantly. Like, give me a number, please. I would say in my office, and I spoke about this on, on, on another show, is like I'm probably in the dozens per day or upwards of a couple hundred per week, out, wow. at least in the last week or thereabouts. So, Dr. Naiman, what are the kinds of things that people say qualifies them? So people, it's, it's actually quite interesting. People will give me many reasons. I have one patient who's pregnant who feels like she should have an exemption. Um, I have people who feel like they have allergies, they have a seizure, um, they just don't want the vaccine, they don't believe in the science, they feel like why are they being forced to have the vaccine and that it's causing them distress and that I should be providing them with, a, with an exemption. Dr. Profeta, what are the reasons you hear from your patients? I, I think very, very similar to Dr. Name, and I think and in particular, a lot of things that otherwise in the past we probably would have provided some exemption for. So, for, for example, certain types of autoimmune diseases, there's always a lot of controversy around pregnancy, 
and different types of medical issues that are chronic in nature and, and require monitoring or medication that make people in particular nervous to get any vaccination. I think those are the ones that have been most challenging. Uh, it's it's interesting with pregnancy. I heard the opposite that that people who are pregnant can get a very serious case and that they should particularly get vaccinated. That's correct. That's one hundred percent the reason. And when when I tell the patient, um, actually, it's actually recommended that you get the vaccine by being pregnant. It puts you at increased risk of having a complication. You know, it goes through the stories of how people have to. to um, delivered in the ICU, and people just, the people who haven't got the vaccine now, there's, there's a small a group of people who I think will be shifted because of the passport, and then there's this hardcore group of people who just don't believe in it, and they're really upset about being feeling that they're being forced to do something that they don't want to do. Dr. Perfetto, I'm going to give you the last word. So um, are you anticipating more of the same, uh, more deluge of requests? It's interesting for me personally, like the, the long-term concerns for vaccines and, and scientific methods that we've used for decades now, it, it's, for me, it's a very small concern. I think going forward, I think, I think the vaccination messaging has to be very positive. It has to be very collegial. And I'm trying to engage individuals that are still hesitant or concerned in, in what is, I think, a very sensitive and understanding way and trying to make the messaging as comfortable as possible with the least amount of perceived coercion in order to get people to effectively vaccinate and that way we can move forward. And that all being said, I do try to understand when people are coming from different perspectives, meeting them somewhere in between and trying to converge on a productive path. Libby Snymer's conversation on Thursday with Dr. Alyssa Naiman with the Medical Station Clinic in Toronto and Dr. Jason Profetto with Profetto Cemetery Family Medicine in Hamilton. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. This last week marked the return to in-person learning at Ontario schools as concerns around the Delta variant fuel worries among parents, grandparents, and teachers. On Labor Day Monday, I was joined by Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, to discuss preparations along with best and worst case scenarios. We look much better than a few weeks ago. We need to be aware of that, not with the daily case numbers. As, it's as you say, you know, they uh, creep up, but much slower than a few weeks ago. Probably what we saw a few weeks ago was the effect of the long weekend, the last one. So it worries me now what's happening these days, obviously. I hope people, you know, are okay with their behavior and mainly meet outside. This will help big time. But taken together and also comparing ourselves with uh, other places in the world and other provinces in Canada, we actually look really quite good considering that we now have the next big step starting that school openings. Yes, school openings. And how well protected are the schools? Look, again, if you look at that from uh, an international perspective and compare us here in Ontario with many other places. We actually look quite good. This will be probably a bumpy road, but I think the preparations have gone relatively well. I can't tell you yet how good this all went, you know, with the ventilation and filtration to make sure that, that uh, you know, the air quality is really high. 
But I really think people were trying. So what we now just need to do is make sure that uh, our kids all are, again, well-trained, have the right attitude. This is all about the parents' attitudes here. So um, if this works well and they really wear masks consistently, do the physical distancing part or the cohorting part, that will all help. And we need to carefully monitor what's going on, but we could well have been way above 1,000 with our case numbers now. We're only approaching 800. That's a good start. We have now the vaccine certificates finally, you know, as uh, as uh, one of the tools in our toolbox. This will help too to control the pandemic a bit. And we should be relatively optimistic now as long as we continue to do the right thing. And we can't let anything slip, can't let the guards down, just continue with what we're doing. And then we'll see what's happening next. Again, we need to live with what we have, you know. We can't have miracles, uh, you know, given everything. But we just try to do in every single situation uh, as good, as, do it as good as it gets. And of course, make sure in uh, those 12 years or older that as many students as possible and all the adults, huh, parents and staff, etc., are vaccinated. That's what will protect schools best right now, together with all of us adults just being disciplined enough that you can keep these case numbers, you know, just in a reasonable range. Uh, And I want to ask you, and I know everybody wants to know, where are we at with the modeling numbers, the best and worst case scenarios going forward? It depends on our behavior and also how well this now goes, you know, with school openings. The point really is um, we are in better shape now than two to three weeks ago, but we have growth. And what we just need to be aware of is that once schools are open, there will be a moment where we probably need to make some sacrifices with our liberty. Just a little bit. This is not about lockdown. Really not. And that's important. So the point is, when you look back into June, you know, the the contacts we had in June, that's probably later on in the year, end of September or so, where we would want to go back in terms of the amount of contacts we had with other people. And uh, and we just need to try to achieve that. There will be different ways of dealing with it. So uh, first of all, the vaccine certificates will help if we don't change our behavior. But the other part is also that we need to start to think about stuff like, you know, working from home again, etc. We can't be, you know, too mobile and have too many contacts. Otherwise, numbers could go up, up to eight, 9,000 in October. And if this were the case, then we would start to be challenged on our ICU again. But many places in the world show if you do a little bit, you reach quite a lot, but we just need to keep going with vaccination. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. He was in conversation with me on Monday. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Dan in Elmwood phoned about Canada's current struggle with China. Yeah, it's got a lot more to do with it than just the Michaels. Uh, the free world needs to get together 
and move production of everything out of China to a lot of the small, poor countries around the world that could use some uh, hand up. Um, we need to take the power away from the uh, people that control China. That's the way to do it. Bob in Mississauga called with his thoughts on the federal conservative leader. I'm just wondering if we as the public and the media have forgotten about the lousy job Mr. O'Toole did as Veterans Affairs Minister. He uh, laid off call center staff so veterans couldn't call in. He got into arguments with families of the fallen. I've not heard his previous reputation as a cabinet minister mentioned anywhere. Louise in Toronto phoned in ahead of the federal leaders' debates. No, I will not be making my decision on the uh, debate tonight. The election should not have been called now. Uh, It's under two years since the last election, and this election is costing the taxpayer $600 It's not fair to the worker. That is not fair to the taxpayer. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Sita in Mississauga, who phoned about the increasingly aggressive protesters at Justin Trudeau's campaign events. This is not our country. We don't behave like this. It's disgusting when protesters cannot control their anger. Don't they learn by now that action really don't solve anything but causes more anger, pain, frustration, and division? Anti-vaxxers, those out-of-control protests should be charged. They should have criminally charged brought to them, and the police should not be afraid to do their job. They should not be afraid that um, about rights or being racial, etc. It is, it is okay not to like someone. It is okay to voice our opinion, but it's definitely not okay to hurt anyone, especially our prime minister. Words, sticks, and stones can hurt. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. And call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.